0: Welcome to the Steady Anchor Podcast. We are a Christian, creedal, and confessional podcast highlighting theology and practice in the local church. We are part of the doctrinal discipleship ministry and members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. I'm Luke, and welcome to the show. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6, 6 6-8 Welcome back to the Steady Anchor Podcast. I am Luke, your host, and this is episode 89, where we are continuing through our series on the fruit of the Spirit. We'll be talking today about the fruit of kindness, what that looks like, God's kindness towards us, the kindness of Christ in his life and ministry, and how we should reflect that kindness to one another. Before we begin our series today, I want to say hi to some new listeners. We've been getting an uptick of listeners now in Seattle, Washington. So if uh, you're one of those people who've been binging us from out there, um, hello. Um, welcome to the show. If you are enjoying the content if you have been following through this series with us and have been benefited from it, um, I urge you to also check out some of the content from the other shows in our network. We are a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, which is a group of like-minded podcasters uh, working through theological and practical content in the Christian and generally Reformed perspective. So if you've benefited from what you've heard through this show, I'm guarantee you'll benefit um, abundantly from the shows in our network. A lot of people producing um, fantastic content that has been a tremendous help to me in my spiritual walk and my growth and understanding of the things of God and of His Word. So great people, some great brothers in the Lord and producing so much content. It's almost hard to keep up with it at times, but it's all great stuff from a variety of different perspectives. And, uh, it's great to hear the different points and, uh, the different focuses. A lot of guys doing a different, different series, different emphases in their show, um, which gets some good balance. It's not just the same thing over and over again. So, um, you know, if, Uh, You have a gap in your listening if you feel like you don't have much to listen to in terms of podcasts. Now, there's always good content to find in the Society of Reformed Podcasters. So, again, we're going through the Fruit of the Spirit series. We've been going through this for the last couple months. We had to take a break over the summer, but we've picked up again recently. Um, If you're more new to the show, like some of our newer listeners, I'm a seminary student going to Mid-America Reform Seminary in Indiana for my Master of Divinity, I'm uh, personally studying for pastoral ministry. I feel like that's my calling and uh, what the Lord has equipped me for and my desire to serve in the church vocationally. So it's been a bit more difficult to record. I have to record less frequently, so thank you for your patience in that. Um, but we've been going through this series just talking about this list that's commonly called the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians chapter 5. We've gone through the first four of these Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, so if you haven't heard any of the previous episodes, you may want to go back to get a better context in this series. What well, we've been doing this is somewhat of a word study format, where we go through looking at the biblical language, how it's uh, describing, defining, and using these various terms, um, how it's exemplified in the scriptures, both in the character of God towards us, and it's manifestation in the incarnate Christ and his ministry and in how we are to do this to one another, how we are to reflect these characteristics in the way that we act towards our family, our co-workers, our neighbor in general, which is all of the people whom we come across in life. So, uh, as with word study series, it's important not to do, um, kind of shoehorn too much meaning into each individual usage. There are nuances of language. Words aren't always used in exactly the same way in every context. And so it's important for us to, as we go through this series, be careful not to put an illegitimate definition on every single use Again, there is nuance in the way that the biblical authors use certain words. They are different people running at different times to different audiences with different emphases, but all of them guided by the same Holy Spirit. And so we want to see how all of scripture attests to these characteristics and how we can see these different facets of how they might be lived in our lives and how they can better help us to appreciate the character of God and his character towards us, his Patience, his kindness, his love towards us. So this series is meant to be emphasizing the grace of God, and not to be burdening you, the listener, with more law, more things to do. We know that these are the fruit of the Spirit. These are things that the Spirit of God produces within us who believe in Christ, who have been united to Christ by faith, born again by the power of the Spirit, and indwelled with, with Him, filled with Him, the Spirit. Um, and that it is his gracious work in our lives that produces these fruit. It's not that we just have to buckle down and force ourselves and try and will up greater sanctification. It is true that God has called us to uh, to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, but we are to do so in a firm and uh, entire reliance on the work of the Spirit within us. Not as if we can make ourselves more holy by our own willpower, but rather by trusting and relying upon the grace of God, by pushing into the means of grace, by praying for a, a greater manifestation of these fruits of the Spirit, and that is how we're to proceed. So again, this series is not meant to burden you, the listener, like, why aren't you more patient? Why aren't you more kind? Rather, it's to study the Scriptures believing that the Lord, the word of the Lord is truth. It is a sanctifying truth. To examine the scriptures, uh, to see what kindness looks like, how God is kind towards us, and to live in gratitude out of that. Not in any way that we would be trying to repay God or um, to muster this up in our own willpower, but upon reliance in this Holy Spirit who is within us. So today we're discussing the fruit of kindness, Kindness is another word that has sort of a general meaning in our society. Kindness as almost synonymous with gentleness or niceness. In the biblical language, especially here in Galatians chapter 5, where we get the fruit of the Spirit, it comes to the word Christotes, which means goodness or excellence or uprightness. Um, It has a variety of connotations to it. Um, it's used not that many times in the New Testament. This specific word is only used about 10 times in the Greek New Testament. Um, so we don't have a ton of information on it for how it's used. There is a parallel in the Old Testament with the word chesed, the Hebrew word, which is famously hard to translate. Um, it has to do with God's covenantal kindness, his grace and love towards us. Um, it is the the character of God that is most kindly most commonly expressed as his kindness or mercy, his goodness or his loving kindness, as the King James used to translate, and some more literal translations still do. That's used a variety of times. It's used over 200 times in the Old Testament. And I think there's a number of words in the scriptures that also are used and translated as kindness, but these are the ones that we're primarily focusing on today. Now, these are words that are used primarily to describe and define the kindness that is exhibited from God towards mankind and by godly towards others. It is a relational word. It defines um, the attitude and the characteristic of interpersonal relations, that God is kind towards us in his grace, and his mercy, in his uh, divine condescension, in the relationships that he forms with us and by treating us with kindness beyond what we deserve. He is merciful to us. He uh, gives us more than we deserve in all of circumstances. He gives us life and breath and all things. He is kind towards us that while we were still in our sin, he did not destroy us as we deserved and punish us for the sins that we had committed against him and his perfect law, but rather he was kind towards us in Uh, being patient towards us, as we discussed last week, not punishing us immediately for what we had done, but rather in even providing atonement for us. Under the old covenant, there were the type and shadow of sacrifices in the temple system, but in the new covenant, we see the fulfillment of those sacrifices in the atonement that Christ has made for us on the cross, that Christ in his death um, and in his resurrection has been our substitute the substitute of all who believe in him, that he has taken the sins of his people upon himself, has suffered in our place, not just to make our salvation possible, but to make our salvation sure and secured. And so this is his kindness. And this is what we want to look at and see in the scriptures. Um, One of the first times that we see this used in this specific way is uh, from the book of Ruth, actually. and chapter two, here's verses 19 through 20. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, that's Ruth, to Naomi, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work for today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So, if you're not familiar with the story of Ruth, in the book of Ruth, it tells the story in a few short chapters of uh, this family where they go from ancient Israel in a time of famine to the land of Moab, which was a primarily Gentile nation, one that did not worship the true God. And uh, the father of this family passes away. The two sons find wives, but they also pass away in this time in Moab, leaving uh, just the mother whose name was Naomi, and her two daughters-in-law, the Moabites named uh, Ruth and Orpah, I believe. And when she decides to return back to her homeland, Naomi going back to the place where she lived before the famine in Israel, um, she tells her two daughters-in-law to go back to their own homes. Uh, Orpah says yes, they depart sadly, but Ruth clings to Naomi. She loves her. She promises to, to continue being her daughter and to worship the God of Israel. It seems that she has become a true believer through this family relation. So she follows her back, and um, they're poor, they're destitute, it seems. And so Ruth starts to go and glean from the fields of the people nearby. Um, And she comes to this place where she reports back that she's been gleaning, that is picking up the leftovers, in the field of a man named Boaz. And Naomi says to her, Uh, blessed be God whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This man is one of our redeemers. She exclaims because um, the man that Ruth has met and and gleaned from, received charity from, is one of their uh, distant or close by relatives who can redeem them, who can uh, be a financial source of help. That's a more complicated topic that we don't have time to go into today, but and here in this passage Naomi is praising God for his kindness that he has not forsaken the living or the dead that he has not forgotten um Naomi's husband and her sons and she has not and the Lord has not forsaken Naomi and Ruth themselves moving on we see in 2 Samuel chapter 9 uh here's verse 1 and David said Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Here's another story if you're not familiar with the life of David. He was this shepherd boy who was called out and becomes a hero among God's people. He's anointed to be the future king of Israel. He becomes good friends with Jonathan, who's the son of Saul, the current and first king of Israel. David eventually loses the favor of Saul, becomes pursued by Saul, who is angry and jealous of him. Um, but he is still good friends with Jonathan. Jonathan, at, in occasion, um, even sides with David, saving David's life against his father, the king. But this is after years and years have gone by, and Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle, and now David is the king of Israel. And so he asks if there is anyone left in Saul's house that he may show them kindness for the sake of his good friend, Jonathan. And so he starts looking for people, anyone who may be left over from this line of King Saul because of Prince Jonathan, who was his good friend. And so he seeks to show their descendants kindness for Jonathan's sake. And we see that he does. There's a crippled boy from Jonathan's house named Mephibosheth, which is a fun name to say, and he decides to bring him in and treat him uh, well and kindly because of his relationship for Jonathan. So here we see an example of what kindness looks like in the relation um, lived in the life of the godly ones. David at this time was following after the Lord and seeking to show uh, a holy and just kindness to others, especially for the sake of of his departed friend. We see also in Job, this quote in chapter six, verse 14, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. This is near the beginning of Job's story after he's lost everything, his possessions and his family and his wealth. And his friends are have pretty much started rebuking him, saying, well, you must have done something to deserve this. And so he in turn says, I've done nothing wrong. And And to you, he says to his friends who are rebuking and correcting him, that he who withholds kindness from from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. He feels like he's being attacked by them and accused unjustly, that they are withholding, withholding kindness from their friend and therefore forsaking the fear of the Lord. We see also in Psalm 141, verse 5, uh, the psalmist writes, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. It's a statement from the psalmist. I'm not sure if this is from David or not. I didn't look into that. Um, But the psalmist is writing and even encouraging the righteous man to strike him, for it is an act of kindness. It's a similar theme that we see repeated throughout the Proverbs, that the rebuke of an honest, a wise, a holy person is a kindness that when we accept correction from people who are genuinely trying to call us out of our sin and into a right relationship with God and others, it is a kind thing for them to do. It's not an evil thing, it's not a hateful thing, it's not a bigoted thing, whatever it might be, to call someone justly into repentance. It's something that if we are wise and seeking holiness before the Lord that we should accept as a kindness that we should be open to rebuke and correction for when we have sinned and wronged. We see in Proverbs twenty-one, twenty-one, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. So whoever pursues righteousness and kindness, whoever makes it their aim in life to be a person who exhibits holiness, justice, righteousness, and kindness, compassion in the way that they live, they will find life, they will find righteousness, they will find honor. And that's a proverb. It's a general rule. It's not an absolute, as proverbs are, but it's a good thing to live by. Proverbs 31:26, and describing the kind of the ideal woman as this chapter is often portrayed. It describes her as opening her mouth with wisdom and teaching and having the teaching of kindness on her tongue in verse 26. So the, uh, the ideal woman, so to speak, portrayed in this chapter is described as having the teaching of kindness on her tongue. She is teaching her children and her servants and those around her to be kind. She is uh, exhibiting that by the way that she speaks and the example that she lives out, what kindness looks like. We see also in the prophets, Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, where the Lord is describing his relationship to his people, his kindness towards them. He says this When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burnt offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms. But they did not know that I had healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and I bent down to them and fed them. So this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Hosea, describing the way that his people, Israel, have walked away from him, the way that he loved Israel from their earliest of days, when he selected and chose Abraham out of the nations to be the father of this nation, Um, when he loved them, when he called them out of Egypt in the exodus. And the more that he called them to holiness and to walk with covenant with him, they walked away still. And we see this as a repeating pattern throughout the history of God's people. um, That in ancient Israel, that the nation who he had called and redeemed continued to turn away and to worship idols rather than the true and living God. But he still says that he led them with cords of kindness as a good shepherd, with bands of love who eased the yoke on their jaws and bent down to feed them. He condescended. He lived among them and loved them as a good shepherd lives among his sheep, but they still turned away. We saw also in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, that famous verse, uh, which we read at the beginning of our episode today, to reiterate that again, uh, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God? In a similar circumstance, the prophet Micah is rebuking the people who have uh continued this external formalism of worship, but have not done what is right in the eyes of God. They may go to the temple and sing his praises and um, have his name upon their lips and bring their sacrifices, but they don't actually do what is good and what is right. They don't live humbly before their Lord. They don't live in true fellowship with him. They have this appearance of outward religion because they observe the temple ordinances, but they don't do justice They don't love kindness. They don't walk humbly with their God. In Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. That is, again, the command of the prophets from the Lord Um, That the people would turn away from wicked ways, to render true judgments, to not corrupt their justice system, and to be kind towards one another. To show kindness and mercy, and to not devise evil against the other, uh, the the people around them, and especially the poor and the foreigner. Now moving into the New Testament, we see, of course, numerous examples from the Gospels of kindness in Christ. We don't see the word used, but we see his example over and over again, the way that he touched the blind, the poor, the, the lepers, the beggars, the way that he dwelt and ate with tax collectors and sinners, the way that he showed kindness and love towards them not only healing them of their physical ailments, but also forgiving them of their sins as they turned to him. And even to those that he did not turn from their sins, to even those who did not ultimately repent repent and believe in him for salvation, he still showed great kindness and compassion. Uh, It was generally to those who were proud and believed themselves to be high and mighty that Jesus was the most condemning. He used the weight of the law to tear apart their pride. Um, And so there's, there's plenty of examples that we can go through, the various stories of his healing, the way that he calls us to lay down our lives for the service of one another, the way that he exemplified that in being the ultimate example of kindness, of love, of compassion, the way that he wept over the lost who would not turn in faith towards him and accept his offer of forgiveness through faith. Um, the way that he healed, the way that he loved, the way that he showed this kindness towards us. We see in uh, the rest of the New Testament, this example of Christ uh, exemplified and explained. In Romans chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes this, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such evil things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is Paul's warning to the people who are hypocritically self-righteous, to those who who rightly condemned uh, the foolish Gentiles and pagans who were living in their immorality and and in heinous sin. They themselves who knew the law and yet committed the same things. They broke the law that they knew. And even though they were uh, right to decry others who broke the law, they were going easy on themselves, presuming on God's patience and kindness not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. We're not meant to take advantage of God's kindness. We're not to say, oh, he's going to be gracious. That The phrase you might have heard that, oh, God loves to forgive and I love to sin. What a perfect relationship. That is not the attitude of believers. That is not the attitude that Christ has exemplified for us and taught us to live in. No, our attitude rather is to look at the kindness of God, his patience and forbearance towards us, that he has not judged us according to our works, and to turn so that we may avoid the wrath to come in faith in Christ. Romans chapter 11 verse 22 says this, note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off writing specifically to the Jews and the congregation at Rome. He has this discourse in these chapters uh, near the end of of Romans, uh, chapters 9 through 11, which have been the subject of a lot of debate concerning the future restoration of Israel and ethnic Jews, Um, really just how he's meaning that and all the implications of that for. So that's another topic we don't have time to get into today. If that interests you, I do remember a great Reform Forum episode from maybe 2019 um, that dealt with the different views of Israel's restoration in Romans chapter 11. So I'd send you that way. But really the focus of this is a warning to those believers who see how some of the ethnic Jews have been cut off from God's covenant because of their unbelief and Paul's warning that if if God was um if God was acting in judgment to the people he had chosen who had disbelieved uh, then we should also be careful not to turn away in disbelief ourselves elsewise we would be cut off and again there's a lot of nuance here about the perseverance of the saints which is i believe a clear and biblical truth um, but also like the seriousness of these warnings and Um, uh, phenomenological language of, of apostasy and stuff like that. So lots of topics to talk about, but moving on. In 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, here's another passage that we've already quoted before, but I think it's worth revisiting. Paul writes, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger by purity, knowledge, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand of the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and yet behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making money rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. This is Paul's description of how he lived as a servant of God and the attitude which servants of God are meant to live in, that despite the affliction, the hardship, the riots, the imprisonment, the beatings that Christians are subject to, as they have been subject to from the beginning, and and as many Christians today still suffer in countries which are more openly hostile to the truth of the gospel, Yet still we are meant to exemplify truth in our speech, the power of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the characteristics of purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, genuine love. In Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 7, that great passage of Ephesians 2 1 through 10, which is um, rightly commonly quoted, he has this specific phrase, after talking about the depths of our sin, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, children of wrath, estranged from God, he he has this twist in verse 4. It starts like this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul describes part of the reason behind our salvation is that God would glorify himself by showing us in the coming ages, in the eternity of glorification at the side of Christ in the new heavens and new earth, that he he may have an eternity to show to us the immeasurable riches of his kind grace towards us, which have been purchased for us by Christ Jesus. That though we are suffering now that we live as pilgrims in this world, the new world to come is a place where we dwell and reign with Christ forever, united to him by faith, forgiven, and shown the kindness of God for eternity. In Colossians 3, verse 12 through 14, Paul writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So kindness here is part of what should exempt, what uh, should be characteristic of us as God's chosen ones, as those who have been elected by the Father, purchased by the Son, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We are those who are called to exemplify these things. So kindness is what identifies us as followers of Christ, though not perfectly. It's not as if we are, we fall in and out of Christ's favor, of Christ's. Uh, adoption and justification to the degree in which we exemplify these characteristics. No, but rather it is the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit working within us that we would exemplify these things, so that even when we fall and we fail, we are not cast off, but we are redeemed and restored by the grace of the Spirit. In Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, Paul writes, "...for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, in his loving kindness towards us, that language parallels the Old Old uh, Testament, the Hebrew concept of Ah, uh, It is so beautiful to hear that the kindness of God towards us, that when his kindness appeared in Christ's incarnation, in the, the second person of the triune God, the Son of and his coming to earth, and his living and dying, which uh, many of us Christians celebrate on uh, this season of the year in December. Again, we've we've talked about that before, that we have no biblical requirement to celebrate certain things at certain times of the year. It's not as if we are sinning against God by not celebrating the incarnation at one certain time of the calendar, but rather it's a tradition that has been passed down from even the earliest parts of the church, and something that um, should not be made into a legalistic thing. It should be something that we are allowed to do by our Christian freedom, but not forced to do by any man-made law. And so we do celebrate this. And I think it's fine to do this in good conscience for us to celebrate the appearing of God, the kindness of our Savior appearing in Christ, that we would be washed by the regeneration and renewal of the Spirit poured out through us through Christ our Savior. Heirs according to the hope, eternal life. That is a beautiful truth and something that is well worth dwelling upon. So to bring all of this to a point in conclusion, we have these three things. One, we see through all these passages, God's kindness towards us, the way that God is kind, compassionate, loving, merciful, gracious, all the synonyms that we could possibly use, the way that he treats us, not as we deserve as sinners and lawbreakers, but the way that he treats us as beloved sons and daughters, united to him through faith in Christ. The way that he has redeemed us and adopted us, justified us, and is now sanctifying us, preparing for our ultimate glorification, our union with Christ now and forever. The kindness of God should lead us to repentance, that for us who have been born again, we can look back and see the lives that we once lived. And I I remember those days where, I was never questioning the existence of God. I knew he was there, but I hated him. And I sinned against him because I wanted to be the God of my own life, because he didn't give me the things that I wanted. And so this is the state of our hearts outside of Christ, but his kindness towards us is meant to lead us to repentance. He did not punish me for the sins that I rightly deserved. He did not crush me, destroy me when I had first sinned, but rather was patient and kind towards me purchasing my salvation through the incarnation of Christ so that I may be forgiven. And the same is true of you if you believe, that for everyone who believes in him, they are a new creation, redeemed and forgiven by the kindness of God in Christ. We see also this kindness exemplified towards Christ. The way that he lived, the way that he loved, uh, the way that he acted toward those who were even hostile towards him, those who were the least deserving, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners whom he showed kindness to. And us living in gratitude in light of the cross should leave us to live lives that also reflect that, not in some sort of like moralistic or exemplaristic way, like we have to earn our place in the kingdom by trying to live up to the life of Jesus. No, Jesus lived a perfect life, perfectly reflecting his good character as the son of God, as the second person of the Godhead, which is something that we could never do in the way that he did. And so it's it's not as if we are trying to earn our place or earn God's favor by exhibiting kindness towards others, but rather out of gratitude and thanksgiving for the kindness that God has shown to us. So also we show kindness to others, that in our churches, in our Um, family gatherings as we come into the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Years, that we would show kindness and understanding towards those whom we interact with, that we would not be easily frustrated or prone to anger or jealousy or whatever it might be, but rather we are kind and considerate, that we would exhibit Christ-like compassion and kindness to the people around us that we may live as a testimony to the work of the Spirit in our hearts, that it may accompany our our testimony of the truth, that we may adorn the gospel with good works to be positive witnesses towards others. That, not in such a way of that, that phrase commonly attributed to Francis. Preach the gospel always, if what necessary, use words. That's That quote not only is not original to Francis, most likely, but it really kind of distorts what the gospel is. It confuses the gospel and our response to the gospel. The gospel is the message of Christ. It is the good news of the king and his kingdom, that Christ, God in the flesh, has come, has lived and and died and resurrected in our place, so that by faith and union with him we may have forgiveness of our sins and life eternal in relationship with the God whom we were created to know and love and reflect. That is the gospel, that we were created in his image, fallen in sin, but restored to the grace of Christ and his love and kindness towards us. So the gospel is a message. No one has ever seen us do a good deed and said, Oh, Jesus is Lord, I should live for him. No, rather it is our good deeds that hopefully are opening a door for us to communicate the gospel message more clearly and without any stumbling blocks. So as you go throughout this week, as you go through this holiday season, whether you're with family or friends or with coworkers or with especially people on social media, where unkindness is so common and so easy, I would encourage you to remember God's kindness towards you, towards me, and to live in light of that. So until next time, that's all I got for now, but Remember this, treasure these truths, hide these scriptures in your heart and meditate on the kindness of God towards us in Christ. So until next time, love God, love his church and love your neighbor as yourself. We'll see you around. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Steady Anchor podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. You can also follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Steady Anchor Pod. Or you can subscribe to us wherever podcasts are found. If you're looking for more like minded content, you can check out the Society of Reform Podcasters at reformpodcasts.com. If you'd like to support this podcast and the website and wherever else we're doing, you can find us on Patreon and give whatever your heart allows. You can also find our website where we post more content, articles, resources, and reviews. That's doctrinaldiscipleship.com. The opening song is Rock of Ages, performed by Nathan Drake. Thanks again. We'll see you around.